more to Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35. Our preaching this morning will be from that portion we read earlier in Genesis chapter 35, verses 1 down to verse number 15. And our title this morning is The House of God. The House of God. The Sabbath day is a special day, isn't it? It is a wonderful, holy day set aside that we may enjoy spending time in the presence of Almighty God. One of the early church fathers called the Sabbath day the chief and queen of all the days. It is a day to find refreshment. It is a day to find wonderful rest. A day when we can set aside all the other labors and toils of the other six days. And on that day, we do something wonderful. We do something special as the people of Almighty God. We come to the house of God. Not just a physical building. We could meet out in a field and gather in the name of Jesus Christ and it would still be the house of God. We speak of that spiritual house whose builder and maker is God himself. And I wonder, with our lives being so busy in the Western modern world, with technology, with so many worries, financial worries, all these things that can crowd in through our week, perhaps we have lost the specialness of coming to the house of God. We're so busy. And it can crowd out how wonderful that is. We can take for granted even that wonderful privilege and that freedom that we have in our land to be able to gather in the name of Jesus Christ. How many countries around the world cannot freely and safely gather as Christians without the permission of the government to do so. We must never take such a wonderful, beautiful privilege for granted. Where my family and I live at the moment, we live next to a spectacular group of mountains. They're called the Mourn Mountains. And when people come to visit our home, they often remark on how beautiful these mountains are. And we noticed that when we first moved into the house. But what happens when you keep walking past the same mountains every single day? You begin to take them for granted. It's only when someone says to you, wow, are they amazing? That's incredible. You begin to see it afresh. 
And friends, as we look at this text, I pray that we would all see afresh how wonderful the house of God is and how special it is to gather all of us as one people. Young, old, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, under one Savior in this one house gathered together. So as we look at this text from Genesis chapter 35, our first point is this, purpose. Purpose, verse number one. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother purpose. We can often forget why we gather and come to the house of God. The reason why we are here in the first place. Sometimes we even perhaps forget to come. There are so many things that happen throughout the week that can crowd out worship. Whether that's Private worship, family worship, public worship, which is what we're doing here this morning. So many things. God reminds Jacob here in our text to go to Bethel. Bethel. In Hebrew, the word Beth means house, and El, God. Bethel, the house. Of God. Arise, go up to Bethel. Arise, go to the house of God. Jacob needs to be stirred up. Previously in the book of Genesis, Jacob makes a vow that he would go to Bethel. Says this in Genesis. 28, Genesis chapter 28 and verses 18 to verse 22. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it and called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of this, that city was called Luz at the first Verse 20, and Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way, then I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. God stirs up Jacob to fulfill and to keep his promise before Almighty God. And in coming to worship, he's calling us all this morning to keep our vows before Almighty God. We make vows at baptism, we make vows coming to the Lord's table. We promise before God Almighty that he will be our God. 
And we will be his people. In our text, we see, verse 1, we see an altar. An altar. What is done at an altar? Now, in the New Testament, we don't have altars anymore. Because we don't have sacrifices in exactly the same way. But what happened at the altar in the Old Testament? There were sacrifices. There was worship. Worship. Offerings. In the New Testament, Paul writes to the Hebrews in, verse, in chapter 13, verse 15. And he calls these the sacrifices of praise. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. Verse 15 of chapter 13 says this. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We praise our God with our lips. And these are a type of sacrifice, you could say, in the New Testament era. This is a place of worship. This altar, a sweet-smelling aroma before the Lord. If you look into the various sacrifices described in the book of Numbers, in Leviticus, in other places, it speaks about a a sweet-smelling savor before the Lord. And what is this? This is a picture of something that is pleasing before God. Worship is pleasing before God in and through Jesus Christ. Christ, And we too find a sweet smelling aroma in Jesus Christ. We come not just to tick our religious boxes. We come to delight in him. Can you remember the Westminster Shorter Catechism? Man's chief end. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We forget that second part, I think. To enjoy him forever. It's why we've been made. To enjoy him forever. Verses 6 and 7 of our text says this. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan. That is Bethel. He and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar. And called the place El Bethel. Because there God appeared unto him. When he fled from the face of his brother. We are told about the altar of God. The worship of God in the second commandment. And the ten commandments are shown to Moses in Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20 it speaks of the second commandment. And in verses 4 and 5 it says this. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And then also at the end of Exodus chapter 20, Verse 25, it mentions something about the altar of God. 
And if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. The altar of God. Do you think, dear friends, that what we offer on this altar matters? In much of the church today, they will tell you it doesn't matter as long as your heart is sincere. You can offer anything before the Lord. Can we use our own innovations and inventions before God? Do we use the wisdom of man or do we use the wisdom of God? I heard years ago a a preacher describe it this way in the worship of God. If you were to go to a restaurant and you ordered the steak and came out as the salmon was put on your plate, I said, well, I ordered the steak. Well, the chef wanted to give you the salmon. Would it matter to you? Or if you went to a birthday party, you're bringing a gift to someone who's a close friend of yours. You know what their favorite thing is. You know what the perfect gift is. But you think of something different. Which is the best thing to give your friend? What they want. As long as it's a good thing. What God wants is good. What God wants is holy. You see, the altar of God is a holy place. A place of, as we'll see in our second point, purity. As we come to the house of God, it is a place of purity. And when God stirs up Jacob to keep his vows to worship and to come into the presence of God and to come to the house of God, he he doesn't just say, come as you are, but he says more than that. Verse 2 in our text, Then Jacob said unto his household, And to all that are with him, put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean and change your garments. Jacob knows what it is to come to the house of God. Verse 3, And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. It's a house of purity. Verse 4. And they, and they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods that were in their hand. And all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. These are God's people on earth. At that time... These were God's people on earth. They're surrounded by enemies. Surrounded by pagans. Pagans who followed false idols or strange gods. You could also put it foreign gods. These were idols of the other nations. They came from outside. And this was no casual matter. To have these strange gods. In Deuteronomy 31. uh, Verse 
15 and 16, it talks about the idols of the nations around them. In Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 15, Fifteen and sixteen, and the Lord appeared in the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of the cloud stood over the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and this people will rise up and go whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land, whither they go to be among them, and will forsake me, and break my covenant which I made with them. See the seriousness of this. To break my covenant. Idols were a sign of unbelief. You see, this covenant that the Lord was speaking of is the covenant of grace. It is kept not by our works, but by faith alone. It is resting upon the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. So in coming to the house of God, can we bring, can we casually bring our idols with us? We ought not to. We ought to put them away as Jacob and his family did. And we think of strange gods in our own day. What does our culture worship? What so often can creep into the Sabbath day, even conversations, sports, riches, wealth, all sorts of things that can become strange gods, even the worship of self. Do you have these strange gods? What we must we do as we come, as we approach the house of God. None of us are perfect. We've all been influenced by these things. We are people and creatures of our time. We've been more influenced by these things than we often realize. But in coming to the house of God, we're to seek to shed ourselves of these things. You see, as we grow, we grow in purity by God's grace. But we never in this world reach that perfection, that final stage in the world to come. We've all, all of us, myself included, have areas we can grow in. But we are to grow in purity. See, that is the sign of a Christian. It says this in Romans 8 and verse 14. Romans 8 and verse number 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And verse 13 before that, If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, he shall live. There's a constant battle that is taking place for the true believer in Jesus Christ. He's always struggling. He or she is always struggling with these idols. 
these things that would distract our attention and our love away from God, whatever they may be, whether they come from the outside world or whether they come from our own hearts. We are in a constant struggle. And the Christian is continually, progressively mortifying, putting to death the deeds of the flesh, putting away, just like Jacob did, these strange gods. Verse 4 once again, And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. See, they needed to put away these strange gods. See, what will happen, dear friends, if strange gods become commonplace in the house of God? It's no longer that place of blessing, is it? It's no longer that place of purity and holiness. You see, the house of God is a wonderful, special place because it is a place of holiness. It is a place of Purity. Idols will bring a house to ruin. But we've spoken about idols outside. We must also balance that with thinking about where is the biggest danger? Is it from outside or is it from inside? It's from inside. Martin Luther, during the Reformation, dealt with many different challenges from false religion. And he said this, I am more afraid of my own heart than the Pope and all his cardinals. I have within me the great Pope, self. So while we speak about these things from outside, it is our own hearts we ought to fear the most. To trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not in thine own understanding. As the Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 states, Calvin said, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. So as we put away these things, let us think about our own hearts and examining our own loves and desires. Number three now. So we've looked at the purpose of the house of God. We've looked at the purity of the house of God. Number three now, presence. Presence. The house of God is a wonderful place because God is there. This is the wonderful thing about coming to church. We meet with God. Now I know God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But we meet with God in a special way that we don't meet with him. In other places. There's something special. About the house of God. God loves purity. He loves his people. And. To promote his own glory. And we're better. To have the presence of God. Than in the public. Worship of God. In verse 7. God met with Jacob. In a time of need. Verse 7. And he built there an altar. And called the place El Bethel. Because there God appeared unto him. When he had fled from the face of his brother. And then in verse 9 it says this. And God appeared unto Jacob again. 
when he came out of Paddan Aram and blessed him. And blessed him. God blessed Jacob because Jacob was able to come and to see the blessed presence of God. This is what we seek in worship. It's what we seek in worship. In 1643, these two islands swore to follow God. And one of the things that they swore in what was called the Solemn League and Covenant, and that they said that God would be pleased to dwell amongst us, that we would be blessed by him. That's what they saw when they swore before Almighty God. They saw his comfort. They saw his protection as he did with Jacob. And in the presence of God, there is protection. Verse number five. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. Now, Jacob and his family, the people of God, they had made enemies. One of which was in the previous chapter, chapter 34, the Shechemites. They had made enemies. Even uh, in verse 30 of the previous chapter, and Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, Ye have troubled me and make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land. And when you're surrounded by enemies, it can be a great fear. And we're facing that as Christians today, aren't we? Challenges that many of you probably didn't face 30 or 40 years ago. Greater degrees of opposition and trial and challenge for the Christian in the world. But Jacob also had enemies. The people of God had enemies, but the terror of God was upon the cities. You see, with, with God there is protection. And if anything does happen to us, it must be by God's permission. Jacob found, uh, Job could see that in the book of Job. Satan couldn't touch Job unless God allowed it. And we must realize that. If we're in the midst of difficulties and challenges, we don't face it in our own might. We come to the house of God and come with his protection and his comfort. Whatever the people, whatever people outside may wish to do to us, this is the most important place for us to be, the house of God. Facing trial and challenge you may be in your life. Where is the greatest place to be? In the presence of Almighty God. Temptation from the world, the flesh and the devil, the idols of the nations. Where is the best place to be? In the presence of Almighty God. You see, verse 7 reminds us that the place is called El Bethel, which is there God appeared unto him, which is the God of the house of God. The God of the house of God. Now, 
There's also something very interesting said in verse 8 of our text here. There's something very... It might even seem out of place when you read it. Verse 8 says this, But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under the oak, and the name of it was called Alan Bakuth. And Alan Bakuth means the oak of weeping. Jacob and his family, the people of God, are seeking reformation. To put away the idols and to come before the house of God to fulfill their vows before God. But does it mean that everything's going to go smoothly? I think it's important to remind ourselves that even when we do go in the right direction by God's grace, there's still afflictions. There's still those things that you don't expect to happen. And in the midst of this, Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, dies. And I think one of the reasons the Spirit of God has placed that in there is to remind us in the midst that these very ordinary, you could say, afflictions of life, the loss of someone who is most likely very important to their family. And we can see this with even the name of the place that it's called, Alan Bakuth, the Oak of Weeping. See, sometimes we can come to the house of God, we, we go in the right direction, we, we set aside our idols, we repent, and we still face affliction. Perhaps somebody in your family dies. Perhaps you get sick yourself. And it can knock you. But at the same time, the greatest blessing is to be in the presence of God. You see, we need that comfort that God offers for moments such as these. And verse 9, it tells us, And God appeared unto Jacob again, and when he came out of Paddan Aram and blessed him, I have met with people who have been grieving and sometimes people will stay away from the house of God. From a human perspective, I kind of understand. We wish to mourn by ourselves. But friends, mourn with the people of God. Mourn in the house of God among other people. This is the place for comfort. Do not keep yourself away. There are times when we'll be sick and we can't come for various reasons. But in the midst of mourning, do not hide yourself away. See, we have so much to look forward to, which brings comfort even in the midst of loss. In verse 11, it says this, Remind yourselves of the promise of God, and God said unto them, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. We will, no matter what we do, no matter how well we live, no matter how much we suffer for the cause of Christ, we will lose things. But we must be comforted in these realities that the best is truly yet to come for the believer. And the best was ahead do not stay away from the house of God and the presence of God. Our final point is number four here, possession. 
So we've looked at the purpose, why we come, and that is to worship. Purity in the house of God, the presence of God in the house of God. And then finally, number four, possession. This is speaking of our inheritance, our inheritance, our eternal inheritance. Now the house of God, Bethel, God speaks to Jacob. This is what's so special, among other things, about Bethel. Verse 15, Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel, the house of God. God speaks to us here this morning. Yes, in the preaching, but also in the reading of God's word. God speaks. The house of God is not special because of any person who may or may not be in the pulpit. It's special because of the God who speaks to us, directly to us, each and every one of our hearts, knows every single one of our needs, knows the afflictions we're all going through individually. All these things, God speaks to us. And what does God communicate to Jacob? And Jacob was sought, he's coming to worship God. He has turned his back on idols. He talks about the great possession ahead. Remind yourself of verse 11 and in verse 12. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee. And kings shall, king shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee I will give it. And to thy seed after thee will I give the land. I think we can often lose the significance of the land that was promised to them. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. A special land. A land that will have plenty and abundance. It was really a picture of heaven. Fruit of all that you could ever need. Now you're probably thinking, well, they faced famine, didn't they, in the land? Yes, because of sin. But it was a very, very special land. A land of abundance. A land of protection from their enemies. When they had faith alone in God. But the land in Canaan is not the end of the story, is it? It's really pointing towards a heavenly Canaan. A place of perfection, peace, blessedness. What happened to the people of God when they fell out of favor with God? When they were, had stiff necks? When they wouldn't listen during the days of Jeremiah? They were removed from that land. And they mourned because of that. It was a picture of eternal food. A picture of eternal goodness and mercy and the kindness of God. And that physical land, they entered in by faith alone. They entered in by faith alone. But we have something greater to look forward to. And the Beatitudes, it tells us, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's not just that land, as special as it was. 
far more, the whole earth. Because there'll be a new heavens and a new earth that we as believers in Jesus Christ, those who by grace have been made meek, will inherit. That's ahead. And we sung it earlier in Psalm 23. And in God's house forevermore, we will find blessing, won't we? We will find help. Psalm number 23 says this, Psalm number 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, the house of God is not just for today, is it? It's forever. It's our home. It's in the presence of Almighty God. It is the place of our greatest joys. It is the place of our high tower and our refuge in the midst of storm and trial. I am sure that God has given you many things to be thankful for. But I'm also sure that you all have difficulties, trials, hardships, things that no one else perhaps even knows about but you and you alone and the Lord himself. But there's coming a day when we will enjoy the fullness of this house forever. And that's what we look forward to. Blessed peace. Blessed comfort. And my words fail to even express the beauty of it. The eye hath not seen or the ear heard what the Lord hath prepared for us. I was speaking with a Christian man once. And we were talking about heaven. And I remember him saying to me, well, it's hard to talk about heaven, isn't it? Because the Bible doesn't say a lot about it. And in some ways, it's true. But in some ways, that's not true. The Bible says a lot about heaven. Because it says a lot about God. Heaven is glorious and wonderful. Because God is there. Do you love the house of God. To love the house of God is to love the God who dwells there. The blessed presence. And do you love the building blocks of this house? Look around. I'm not talking about the physical building. I'm talking about dear believers, blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ. Those whom Christ died for imperfect people like you and I sinners people who have maybe at times in the past we have hurt each other at times but do we love each other because they are part you are all part in Jesus Christ of that one building the house of God dear friends as we finish remember this to love God is to love the presence of God and it's to love where God dwells. Let us pray before Almighty God.